episode. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council. Honored to be sitting in on this Friday afternoon. And thank you for joining us on this edition of Washington Watch. We've got a packed program for you. Let me give you the highlights. It was a historic day for our country, some calling it a dark day for our country. As former President Donald Trump was booked in an Atlanta jail yesterday and later released on bond. But despite his legal prosecution or persecution, as some are calling it, the former president still has a commanding lead in the GOP presidential primary. But House Republicans want to look into the motives behind the latest effort to prosecute the president. South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman will join me in just a moment to talk about this. And a coalition comprising Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa met in Johannesburg this week seeking to build a power base to rival U.S. international influence, and it appears to be growing. We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates to become full members of BRICS. Well, that was South Africa's president announcing the expansion of the BRICS coalition. The question is, is America losing its appeal thanks to the disastrous policies of the Biden administration? Are we driving other countries away? Liberty University's Dr. Dave Bratt will answer that and more a little bit later on in the program. And speaking of the tragic consequences of the Biden administration's foreign policy, tomorrow marks a sad anniversary for our nation. Two years ago, 13 soldiers died from a suicide bombing attack during the president's disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. And we remember all of them this weekend. Staff Sergeant Taylor Hooper, Sergeant Nicole G, Sergeant Johanny Pachardo, Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus, Corporal Diggin Page, Corporal Humberto Sanchez, Corporal Hunter Lopez, Hospital Corman Maxin Soviet, Lance Corporal Kareem Nakui, Lance Corporal Dylan Marola, Lance Corporal Jared Schmidt, Lance Corporal David Espinoza, Last Corporal Riley McCollum. We remember all 13. That was a reading of the names earlier this month by Alicia Lopez, a mother of one of the Marines killed. Tom Kilgannon from Freedom Alliance will join me to reflect on those lives that were lost too soon and how we can honor them. And Chloe Cole. That's a name that many have come to be very familiar with recently. She's been testifying around the country about the harms of transgender ideology. My name is Chloe Cole, and I used to identify as a transgender boy between the ages of 12 to 16. 
I'm 19 years old now, but all of my teenage years and the entire trajectory of my life has been altered by delusional ideas that were pushed on me from a young age. Well, that was Chloe speaking at a school board meeting earlier this month, and she will join me a little bit later to share her powerful story and her efforts to protect children from what she experienced. So we have a packed program lined up for you. And just by way of reminder, if you miss any portion of today's program, you can catch it at our website, TonyPerkins.com. Also, of course, a ton of resources are available there for you, as well as archived uh, programs that you may want to go back and view. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into our program for this evening. We started with former President Donald Trump, who surrendered and was booked at an Atlanta jail yesterday. The former commander-in-chief posted bond and exited the facility in a process that we're told took about 20 minutes but there's no doubt that process is going to play a major role in the 2024 presidential elections and very likely the future of our entire country. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Ralph Norman. He serves on the House Budget Committee, also the Financial Services Committee, and the Rules Committee. He's also a great friend and a member of the House Freedom Caucus. He represents the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina, Congressman Norman, great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody, we miss you in Washington, D.C. That's that's my message. I, God, you did a good job while you were there. But you, you're doing a good job now with, with the Tony Perkins and his crew. Well, thank you, Ralph, very much. And listen, I miss you. I miss all the crew. And I miss those times in the Conservative Opportunity <laughs> Society, which you chair, and the wonderful breakfast that we had every week. I miss that. Well, let's get started into this. First, this whole issue with President Trump uh, and, and the jail, the booking yesterday. Um, and, of course, it's currently uh, the jail there is under a federal investigation for cruel treatment of its prisoners. But give me your take on this. Well, Jody, it's a persecution of the former president. It's a persecution. And this administration has weaponized every agency of government. And for your listeners, they're coming after us. It could be us next. And what they're doing to Donald Trump is not right. It's not fair. It started off. Think, look at the timing. It started off in, I think, Jan February of, of 21. This is 23. Um, you know, Fannie Willis has made a fundraiser out of this to prosecute, uh, you know, President Trump and 18 others under the RICO statute, which is racketeering. It's uh, it's unbelievable. But that's why this election is so important. That's why it's you know, we don't want the persecution of other people. What about, you know, the, the, the Biden administration? I mean, they got they have so much on them. They're the ones that ought to be. Uh, looking at the probe, but the media won't cover that, and uh, they sure covered Donald Trump. They sure covered his his mugshot, and um, you know it, it's a travesty for our legal system. It's a travesty for the country. Well, it really is. I was very much interested to see, though, that the Judiciary Committee under Jim Jordan is looks like they're going to have a probe into uh, Georgia's Fulton County's District Attorney regarding her motives for prosecuting uh, former President Trump. And, and their reason for the probe is concerns uh, uh, about her motive that was all politically driven, as really you're alluding to. Are you inclined to agree with that, that it was a politically driven prosecution? That's all it is. 
and uh, Jim Jordan's letter, which he sent out August 24th, which uh, demanding records, demanding uh, any federal dollars that came into to her office. And, um, you know, we've got to have testimony from the Mr. Weiss and so many others. Um, but no, Jim Jordan's exactly right to ask us in this letter, lay it out. Uh, what she's doing is so obvious it's political. That's all it can be. And she made her motives known prior to this. Look at the timing that uh, they, they took to do this right before the the uh, primaries and right before the debates. And they want to make President Trump look as bad as he is. It's having the opposite effect, to be honest with you. Yeah, it really is. It looks like every time it gets indicted or something, he just uh, takes another surge in the polls. If I can switch gears with you a little bit, the Biden administration, I, I don't know if you saw this or not. I think you probably did, especially in light of what's recently happened in South Carolina. But the Biden administration has launched a $25 million ad campaign pushing its abortion policies and targeting specifically uh, some of the, the Republican presidential candidates the other night who were so strong on their pro-life messages. Uh, your thoughts on the administration putting this kind of campaign against the pro-life candidates? You know, they're using this as a wedge issue, Jody. I mean, instead of talking about the serious things that are affecting this country, like inflation, like our crisis at the border, like our crime in the streets, like our overspending, like our woke military, they're, they're using the uh, anything they can to divide and to put out lies uh, about the candidates and uh, and and if Joe Biden has has no record to to run on, and it's kind of like what the Social Security that the Democrats always did is Granny being pushed over the cliff. They're doing the same thing with the abortion issue, and this is a socialist party that agrees with abortion on demand. They agree with uh, that killing a child is medical care. And they're willing to do it right up to uh, to, to a, a perfectly healthy baby that's been born. It's so tragic, and uh, but that's what we're facing, and that's why it's so important to stop this this party from doing what they're doing. And the only way you do it is you beat yeah. them and you throw them out of office. Yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, they 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 support many of them at least, if not all of them, that support abortion right up to birth. And of course, Jen Psaki, you probably saw her tweet saying that no one supports abortion till birth. Uh, but the one that she worked for does. Al Franken said something similar. Your response to that? Well, I've had them at hearings, Jody, when I was on the oversight committee. And, uh, you know, they tried to dodge the question, but, you know, and I asked them point blank, are they, uh, would they kill a child? And that's the only way you can describe it. Would they kill a, a perfectly healthy child uh, upon birth? And they kept going back to abortion was was health care, which it's not. Killing a child is not health care. I also asked them whether they would, uh, you know, when the pres currently in law, if a pregnant mother gets killed, it's double homicide. Would they uh, agree to, if it's not killing the child, uh, do away with that law? But it's hypocrisy at its highest. They support the death of children. And uh, I'm glad the candidates took the position they did, different ones, but they took a position of life. And that's what this country was founded on, not killing, not killing our, our unborn. Well, absolutely. And, and speaking of that, congratulations to your state of South Carolina with the uh, major pro-life victory when your state Supreme Court rejected a challenge to the heartbeat law earlier this week. I know that had to thrill you. Well, it threw me four to one. 
you know, the heartbeat bill, you know, Steve King was always led the fight on this, but uh, you cannot have an abortion. Typically, that's at six weeks when you detect a heartbeat. So they passed that, and it's uh, what a wonderful uh, gift to the state that the state Supreme Court did. It's the right decision. Uh, and uh, we're, we're a pro-life state, and uh, it was a great day for South Carolina, a great day for the nation, really. It really was. Well, listen, we've only got about a minute left. Uh, our House Freedom Caucus released a statement on what it will take for them to support a continuing resolution to fund the government. Uh, are you on board with that, and what do you anticipate happening with this financial battle coming up in September? Absolutely, Jody. You know, this is what the fight was in January when the five of us and then the 20 of us, uh, you know, had, had a understanding with the speaker. But no, we our position is that, uh, you know, we've got to have the cap and spending of the pre-COVID levels of $1.47 trillion. We've got to stop the weaponization of the DOJ, border security, in the woke military. Take the dollars out of that. And unless we get that, he can't pass it. And we, we got the 80 percent, as you know, that's required for the Freedom Caucus. And, um, you know, the threat of a government shutdown, uh, bring it on. If that's what they want to threat, if, they, if that's what they uh, threaten us with, then do it. Because if, if not now, when? This is common sense things. And that's right. If we can't if we can't have agreement on this, it's a sad day in the country. Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina, thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Keep the torch ablaze, my friend. Great seeing you, Jody. You too. All right, coming up, a coalition of nations trying to rival U.S. power. I'll discuss all of it with former Congressman Dave Bratt right after the break. Stay tuned. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you joining us this afternoon. All right, let's get into this. Uh, One of the issues kind of going under the radar, there's a group called BRICS, the BRICS Coalition. They held a three-day summit in South Africa, and really this summit raises a lot of questions for U.S. international diplomacy. For those of you who may not be aware, BRICS stands for and represents Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And they have formed an alliance to challenge U.S. powers. And among the many headlines that were generated by the summit this week, probably the most notable announcement is that they have additional countries coming on board with them. Play clip three, please. We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates to become full members of BRICS. Wow. Well, that was South Africa's president making the announcement. So what does all this mean for the United States? And, you know, really the bottom line is, is the United States losing its appeal thanks to the actions and the policies of this administration? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Dave Bratt. He's previously a member of Congress, and now he serves as the dean of the Liberty University School of Business. Dr. Bratt, always wonderful to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Congressman Heist, great to be on with you, Jody. God bless. Well, likewise to you, my friend. All right, let's start off with some of the background on BRICS. Probably many of our viewers and listeners heard about BRICS perhaps for the very first time as we come into this uh, segment. So who, what yeah. is the BRICS coalition and what, what are their goals? Yeah, well, you, you had the setup, right? Uh, it, it's a reaction against the overreach of the United States. And finally, we've gone too far. We're $50 trillion in debt. And when the rest of the world uh, is is seeing your higher interest rates and, and the probability that you might not pay off your debt in the future, they say, uh, not sure about this. Plus, we have inflation at 9% last year, which devalues their money. If they're holding dollars, their dollars are being devalued. Why would anybody want to do that? So now you have the BRICS, like you said, plus 20 other countries lined up uh, to take advantage of American weakness. 
And what's really going on here is this, uh, we're debating the loss of our global reserve currency. There's been only five of those in the past 500 years. It started off uh, 1500, you had Portugal and Spain, and then you had the Netherlands lost theirs. And then the French uh, Revolution, they lost theirs. And then England lost theirs through World War I and World War II. Why'd they all lose them? Well, the, the proximate cause was war. They lost their uh, currency regimes because they went to war. But of course, the real cause was they lost the economic engine, which could support their empires and support their wars. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, I think it does, wow. right? Uh, we're $50 trillion in debt at war uh, it, 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 with Russia through, through the Ukraine. Uh, the American people have no idea why we're there. A bunch of young Christian men in the Ukraine are being slaughtered daily. Uh, and so that's a brief intro. And then the one other thing I ought to say is the reason you ought to take this serious uh, is because no one's going to put a dollar into China, right? Everybody, you're not going to park your money in China or Russia or Brazil, but they're coming together and they're going to form a gold-backed currency and combine it with blockchain technology, which provides total privacy and a complete record of all transactions. If you put all that together, you have a, a, a valid currency that's going to maintain its strength because of gold, and you don't have to worry about security because of blockchain. Uh, so it is a real threat. Uh, it's a signal to the U.S. to get our act together. Uh, I don't see, I don't have much confidence that we are going to get our act together, but this is what's uh, the natural consequence of our of our dereliction of fiscal duties over the decades. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, the the fact that there, you mentioned 20 others, the president of South Africa just mentioned six who are yep. going to be coming on as, as full members. The expansion of this coalition itself is frightening. It seems rather inevitable where this is going to end up, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the U.S. is clearly losing our, our authority on the world stage, right? We set up the Bretton World's uh, liberal world, world order back when liberal was a good word. It meant uh, basically a rights regime like we have in our Declaration and Constitution. And we protected the world as long as they would help us fight against the, uh, the, the Soviet Union back then, the communist threat. Uh, well, the world has changed significantly. Now China is our biggest threat. Uh, and we are just ill-equipped, right? The uh, we're, we're doing woke stuff in the military. We're fifty trillion in debt. We have an open border. Uh, the kids can't read in the third grade, and uh, the Federal Reserve has ruined our economy over the past twenty years, right? We had the oh seven oh eight financial crisis, and now we're trying to work our way out of another bubble. And uh, yeah, so, let me ask you this. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this, right along those those same lines, you, you yeah. mentioned the woke. I don't know if you caught this, but the BRICS announcement came the very same day that our Agency for International Development, you said, yeah. it released its comprehensive LGBTQIA plus guidelines. Yeah. So it's not just the horrendous shape of our economy, but the United yeah. States keeps pushing this wokeness on yeah. other countries. And aren't we pushing people away. These other countries don't want our woke ideology, and we're really pushing away countries that otherwise ought to be our allies, don't you think? Yeah, no, that's right. We're having a CEO summit uh, at Liberty October 10 to 12. We're hosting a bunch of African uh, delegations from Nigeria, DRC, uh, et cetera. They, they're scratching their heads uh, along the lines you just said. They don't know what's going on with this, with this U.S. initiatives. And of course, this tracks uh, the, the greater concern, the the 
LGB uh, alphabet pronoun stuff is a sign uh, of a Wall Street Journal poll a few months back, which showed that the United States is losing our religiosity and we're losing our patriotism. Uh, both down 30 points in the last five years. That's not a typo. Uh, religiosity, uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, which grounds and is the total foundation. It's the unique claim uh, that we're all made in the image of God and that, that that set of minimal rights needs to be protected in law, and it has been. That is now in question Dave, Doctor, in the West. Dr. Dave Bratt, I've got to let you go there, but thank, thank you, you so much for your tremendous insight, which we had all evening to share with you. God you bless. Bet. Have thank a great you, weekend. Brother. Thanks, Jody. God bless. Likewise. All right, friends, tomorrow marks a sad and somber anniversary for our country, one that we will not forget. I'll discuss it right after the break. Stay tuned. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, and an honor to have you joining us this evening. All right, it was August 26, 2021. That was among the deadliest days of the entire 20-year war in Afghanistan. 13 U.S. soldiers were among those killed in a suicide bomb attack in Kabul just days before the full withdrawal of the nation that was ordered by President Biden. The group of fallen soldiers included 11 Marines, one Army soldier, and one member of the Navy, and we today remember them. Staff Sergeant Taylor Hooper, Sergeant Nick Olgee, Sergeant Johanny Pachardo, 
Staff Sergeant Ryan Nouse, Corporal Dagan Page, Corporal Humberto Sanchez, Corporal Hunter Lopez, Hospital Corman Maxton Soviet, Lance Corporal Corrine Nakui, Lance Corporal Dylan Marola, Lance Corporal Jared Schmidt, Lance Corporal David Espinoza, Lance Corporal Riley McCollum. All right, that is the second time we have shared that because these soldiers deserve to be remembered. And so, so much as I am aware, the president, President Biden, has, here we are two years removed, and still he has not mentioned the names of those 13 who were killed. And we will mention them. We will, will remember them. That was a reading, by the way, of the names that was uh, done earlier this month by Alicia Lopez, who's the mother of one of the Marines who was killed. Well, joining me now to talk about all of this is Tom Kilgannon. He's the president of Freedom Alliance, an organization that provides support to America's military families and advocates for a strong national defense. Tom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Jody, it's always great to be on the program. I wish we had uh, better circumstances uh, to have this conversation. Uh, but I want to thank you and Family Research Council for paying tribute to these 13 heroic service members because I think every American should use the platforms they have to pay tribute to those who go off to far and distant places to protect our country. Yeah, I agree. It's just uh, it's chilling to me, the attitude uh, that this administration has taken. Uh, they may not be uh, calling it um, a victory, uh, but they're not really admitting, uh, and they're not, certainly not apologetic about what took place. In fact, I have a cl clip here. Play clip six, please. Do you have regrets of, about their withdrawal or how the withdrawal occurred from Afghanistan that cost the lives of 13 of our service members? I, I don't have any regrets. Uh, you don't have uh, any regrets. Secretary Austin, uh, it's very telling. Yeah, that was Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, earlier this year, and that uh, questioning him was Congressman Jim Banks. And so uh, no regrets looking back. What do you think of, Tom, when you reflect on what happened two years ago? Jody, what I think of is 13 heroic service members died, and Lloyd Austin has no regrets. Uh, there was chaos and confusion at the airport, and Lloyd Austin had no regrets. There was devastation to 13 Gold Star families, and Lloyd Austin has no regrets. It is disgusting that he would say those kinds of things in an open forum, in any forum, frankly, and that uh, he and other members of the administration, and I, and I specifically point out the president, as, as you've uh, indicated here, who has not spoken the names of those families. And um, we need to have a better way of treating our Gold Star families than what this administration has done. Yeah, we surely do. And and one of those ways, I mean, you that you were there, you're in the trenches with these families. You work daily with with families who have lost, loved, lost loved ones in service for our country. Um, and you work with these specific families of the 13. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what they've been going through? Well, they've been uh, devastated, Jody, and they are uh, they are hurting. And on top of that hurt, they have been insulted because what they are saying, uh, just a few weeks ago, Congressman Darrell Issa of California held a hearing 
in which he provided a forum for these families to speak out and tell what has happened to them. And the families of six of the fallen service members showed up at that hearing and gave their stories. And what they said was the information they're getting from the administration and from the military has been at best inconsistent and at worst it's been flat out lies. And so I think, you know, we've had uh, reports, we've had investigations from inspectors general about what happened on the ground and what led up to it. I think we need an, an inspector general's investigation into how these Gold Star families have been treated. What were they told? What was the truth? And what is the delta in between those two? And uh, let's look at what what lies uh, have been told to them and, and figure that out so that we can find better ways to treat America's Gold Star families. It is just unconscionable uh, the way they've been treated. And I commend to any of your viewers to watch that hearing that Daryl Issa held because the testimony is gut-wrenching. Okay, Tom, 30 seconds left. How can we honor these families uh, in the memory of their loved ones? How can we pray for them in about 30 seconds. Certainly from a government perspective, there needs to be accountability. I think Lloyd Austin should have stepped down at a minimum. Congress should uh, censure him and uh, General Mark Milley uh, for what has happened. I think there ought to be this investigation of which I just spoke. And I think for uh, members of the public like you and I, do whatever we can to uh, remember these 13 heroes. Uh, we should pray for them. We should Tom pray Kilgannon. for their families and that they have to come. We got to leave it there. Tom Kilgannon, Freedom Alliance, thank you for joining us. All right, friends, after the break, detransitioner Chloe Cole will join me to share her powerful story. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after the break. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND 
stand to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congresswoman Lisa McLean. In Congress, it's tough. And you get hit, you know, you get, you get bombs thrown at you from all different sides. And at times, um, you have a tendency to get down. FRC approaches things in a very different way. It, it approaches it with a faith-based principle, in a, in a faith-based manner, which is really lacking not only in Congress, but I would say in America today. FRC is an organization that provides an optimistic, hopeful, positive view of the future. A heartfelt message from Representative Lisa McLean. Thank you so much for that. And friends, it's true. FRC stands in the gap for 40 years. FRC has been standing in the gap, standing for faith, family, and freedom, standing on Capitol Hill and in so many other avenues that the Lord has provided. We want to invite you to come join us September 15th through 17th at this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It's going to be held in Washington, D.C. We've got some phenomenal guests, President Trump, DeSantis, among many, many, many others. I can't go into the list of them. But we want to work together with you and partner together to influence our culture and our nation for good. Go to prayvotestand.org for details and to register right now, prayvotestand.org. All right, let's jump into our final topic of the day. Among the many political flashpoints that we'll be leading up to this upcoming election, be it the presidential election or many beyond uh, the presidential one, is the whole issue of gender procedures for minors, including the use of hormones, puberty blockers, uh, and permanent mutilating surgeries, all these type of things. And there is an entire apparatus out there working to legitimize these experimental procedures that includes 
uh, virtually all the mainstream medical association, public education institutions, the Democratic Party from the president on down. But there are some brave voices willing to stand up to this messaging apparatus. And today I'm honored to welcome one of the most prominent of those voices, Chloe Cole, to share her story and offer her thoughts. Chloe, welcome to Washington Watch. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you for having me, Tony. Well, listen, let's, uh, some of our viewers, listeners may not be aware, but uh, real quickly, share your story. So I am a, I call myself a detransitioner, meaning that I've been through the process of gender transition and I decided to go back on that decision. Um, I, w- I went through the process entirely as a minor. I was 12 when I started socially transition, meaning that I chose a new name for myself, started calling myself a boy and changing the way that I presented. And then at 13 was when I started to go on the physical interventions like uh, puberty blockers and testosterone. And at 15, the summer after my sophomore year of high school had ended was when I underwent the surgery. Um, I had a double mastectomy, meaning that my breasts had been removed permanently. And I stopped transitioning about a year afterward at 16 years old when I realized that I had regretted all these interventions, that I was too young to be making decisions like this, and that by, by doing all this, I was losing parts of my adulthood before I could even call myself a woman, and that one day I wanted to be able to have kids of my own. Wow. It's an amazing story. I know one of the parts of your story, Chloe, that uh, is so powerful, and you've been candid about this, is how the professionals literally pushed you you and your parents to transition. Tell us about that part of your story. I mean, really, they were just giving me what I, as the child, wanted rather than stopping and letting me be a kid and thinking about what it might have been that I actually needed, which was psychotherapy and just being being given a chance to just grow up. And they told my parents, they expected my parents to go along with all this. They told them that it was going to be life or death for me, that I would become suicidal if I were not on these interventions. And really, what it came down to was just the emotional manipulation of my parents. Yes. Right. How, how did they manipulate your parents? They told them that blood was going to be on their hands, that they were either going to have a dead daughter or a living transgender son, and that they only had those two choices. No other choices were, prevent, were presented to, herself, to, to us. They never told them about the possibility that I would desist or detransition or of me regretting these, these procedures. They said that it was more likely that I, that I regret going through, through puberty than I ever would being on these interventions. It's just unbelievable how, I mean, so much worse than manipulation. This was um, just evil twisting of your arms. To give only those two options to your parents is just absolutely brutal. Now, let's fast forward, if we can, Chloe, uh, to the process of you making the decision to go public about this story and about this whole issue what drove you to be a public voice? Um, I mean, when I initially detransitioned, I actually got 
a really aggressive response from the transgender community. And the people who had celebrated me the most through my transition, and especially when I got the surgery or went on hormones, were now turning their back on me and they were saying the cruelest things to me. And even my doctors, I wasn't getting any support from them. I wasn't getting any help as to how to go off of the hormones or any of the complications that I was having from these procedures. And it was an incredibly lonely experience, so much more difficult than, than transitioning in the first place. I pretty much had to figure it out all on my own. And very soon after I stopped transitioning, I started interacting in communities of other people who had gone through transition and regretted it or had been damaged by it. And while on one hand, it was kind of comforting knowing that I wasn't the only one going through this, I found it incredibly painful and terrifying that I'm not the only one who has been hurt by this, that there are many people out there, the amount of which we'll never know, who have been through the exact same experience. And I wanted to be able to advocate for, for other people, especially the other kids who have been in this situation, and to prevent it from happening ever again. Well, thank you for taking that kind of stance. Uh, and. You know, it's amazing to me how the Lord, well, it shouldn't be amazing, but how he has opened up so many doors. You have testified before Congress. You've been before many state legislatures. Uh, how has that overall experience been for you? Um, I mean, really, it's been such a roller coaster of emotions because I, I've dedicated the, pretty much the past year of my, of my life to this. And at times it can be difficult um, and it can be kind of nerve wracking giving my testimony, but it's, it's so worth it just being able to, to affect legislation around this, to help other kids and families and to reach out to other people to help to, to get the support that we all need through this. Chloe, that's powerful words, what you said there in the midst of the hardships of it all, that it is so worth it. And I just want to reaffirm to you, it is so worth it. We need your voice. So many of these children are just being uh, like you they're be, they're be, and, and like your parents are being twisted. Uh, arms are being twisted, so to speak, to make right. permanent decisions like this. And you, you actually can consider all this... Um, an abuse what happened to you, don't you? That's absolutely what it is. At every, at every single level, I was, I was failed by these adults, these people who call themselves doctors, who are supposed to help my parents in raising me and getting care. It's, it's, it's just shameful in every way. You know, there's a there's a study, a recent study, I'm sure you've seen all the studies out there, but uh, that the gender, gender procedures have tripled uh, in the last several years. And that's frightening when you think about, but it's not surprising when you see how it's being pushed on students in the schools from young ages on up. Uh, what, what all do you attribute to this uh, tripling numbers, it's increasing numbers of people transitioning. I mean, a good percentage of these, of these people and every single transgender person, if not all of them, have had some sort of comorbid issue, whether it be like a learning disorder such as ADHD or autism 
or like a cluster B personality disorder, depression, social anxiety, or overwhelmingly, many of them have a history of trauma, whether it be of sexual abuse or assault or rape or a parental or family trauma. And it's not hard to see how that might play, play into the way that a person see themselves in relation to their sex. Absolutely. I'm curious your thoughts on on this related aspect of this whole issue, and that is, you obviously you've spoken, and so many of us have seen you and followed you. You've testified before Congress and all these types of places, but you've also spoken at a number of school board meetings, specifically on the issue of parental rights is what I'm referring to now, because these kind of go hand in hand and what happened to your parents as well. Uh, through all of this, but parental rights and the notification issue, what's your take on these efforts in schools to create some sort of barrier between parents and the children? I think it's plain perverted that these adults outside of a child's family think that they can just get in between a child and their parents and their caretaker and keep secrets from them. No adult has any right to do that, to hide things to hide things from a kid's parents, especially something as important as this relating to their child's mental health. Yeah, and you know, nobody loves these children like the parents do, right? I mean, that's right. that's uh, that's the the family, that is the nucleus of support and love and care for these children. Yes. I, I don't know I don't know if you saw uh, Montgomery County, uh, Maryland has just recently announced a policy, and and we're seeing this type of thing across the country, but they announced a policy that parents cannot opt their children out of the classrooms when the discussions of transgenderism and all these other sexual issues come up. The parents sued the county, but yesterday a federal judge literally ruled against the parents. How concerned are you by the indoctrination that we're seeing in schools and entertainment, so many other places. I mean, it's incredibly concerning that these schools think that they can control what the child's exposed to more than the parent. I mean, when I was, back when I was in school, when I was in middle and high school, we had like waivers for parents to sign off for sex ed, but they don't get a choice on this. Great question. Great point. I, because I grew up the same way. Uh, and it was, um, man, we've come a long, long ways. And in the, in the a long ways in the wrong direction. All right, Chloe, I want you, if you will, let's take a moment and speak into the lives of our viewers, our listeners of the program right now, who perhaps have a child or a grandchild that's struggling with gender dysphoria. Uh, where where should these parents start? What what would have been helpful to you at that point? The best thing to do is to not intervene, to not go the path of having these children go on permanent interventions that will affect them for the rest of their lives. You ha- it's important to to speak to them directly and openly about where these feelings are coming from, what it is that makes them feel like they're not enough as their own sex, what is influencing them to think that they 
can just opt out of either being a boy or a girl and go the other path. And to remember to be compassionate to them, to let them know that they are loved, that they are perfect as they are, that the issue is not their body or the way that they look or were born, but the way that they see it, and to guide them through it. And also to try to remove the influence that is making them think otherwise, whether it be from, from school, whether they're learning it in class, from their peers, or from the internet, and to respond accordingly. Like, if, like in the case of it being from social media or the internet, you might have to take away their, their, their devices and to replace it with something else, like a sport or encouraging them to go after and develop a hobby. Or if it's coming from school, then you'll have to be more involved in your, in your child's education to see what is going on in the classroom, to look at the curriculum, and you may have to move schools, you may have to end up homeschooling them, which is not an option for every parent. And it is incredibly difficult. But I think in the, in the very end, it's worth it because that gives you full control over what your child is being exposed to and what they're taught. It really does. Chloe, we've only got about 30 seconds here left. How much of this do you think, in your case, was just attributed to puberty? That's, that's not an easy process to go through. That Most people would come through this if they just go through it. We only have right. 15 seconds. I think that was a big part of it. For me, puberty started very early, and it was a, per, it was a very difficult adjustment for me, but nothing that I felt was really out of the ordinary. It was just me growing up into a woman. Chloe Cole, thank you so much for your powerful voice and for going against the tide on this issue. And thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Friends, that's all the time we have tonight. Hope you have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you next week. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.